You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. So, you want your online business to be a success. Of course you do. Why else would you be doing it? As always, the Team Guru Podcast is here to help with some expert insight and some practical advice. In this, our 81st episode, I'll be chatting to Bernadette Schwert, one of Australia's leading speakers and writers on the topic of dot-com success. For the past few years, Bernadette has been a judge with the Online Retailers Industry Awards, an experience that has allowed her a look behind the scenes into the secrets of the most successful online businesses in Australia. She's written a book about the things she's learned and she joined me to tell us all about it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Bernadette Schwert. Bernadette Schwert, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to have you, Bernadette. Now, you've got a nifty little book here, uh, How to Build an Online Business. It's the book of the times. It's the topic of the times. And you draw on the experiences of online behemoths, those huge success stories, companies like Uber and Booktopia. And you lay out a five-step process for your readers as they seek to take their passion or hobby and uh, their great idea and turn it into www.moneymakingventure.com. And it's, it's great. It's a, I love your five-step process. And I'll, I'll get you to take us through that shortly, if you don't mind, Bernadette. But before we get to that, I'm, I'm going to ask you, because you're in the industry and I've kind of always wondered, if you can give us a taste of the scale that we're talking about here with commercial ventures. I mean, we, we all live in the same world. We all get it. We've we, we have our own experiences and it's, and it's abundantly clear that online is booming commercially. We all do most of our world online or we can if we choose to. But someone who's truly on the inside of the industry, I'm wondering if you can help us understand, it doesn't need to be numbers, but just the scale and the volume and the, the weight of what it is that we're talking about, what we have all experienced over the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah, David, the reality is that because of technology and a few other factors, which I'll talk about in a moment, anyone's crazy idea can come to fruition. Mm. Any crazy idea can be manifested. And I think that's why the scale of online business has boomed in recent years, because previous to, say, Google, previous to cloud, you had to have a big server, you had to have a big software package, big website in order to generate business in terms of holding your data, pumping out content to YouTube, et cetera. So that was the past and that was expensive. Now, with a $50 Wix website, free content that you could create yourself or get someone in a, you know, the Philippines to do for you using cloud storage, which is you know, cut the cost of, of storage of, of uh, data, et cetera. And also with social, you can get your message out very quickly and cost-effectively. And through mobile, of course, you're distributing it you know, widely and quickly. All those factors, which are the factors of disruption, are enabling the most inane <laughs> and niche ideas to succeed. And I think that's what we've never seen before. 
because it's these small niche communities that were once unreachable are now mm. reachable on a global level, which you know, which means there's a market for these niche products. And they're, they're available to people with a very low barrier to entry, aren't they? That's exactly right. There is no barrier to entry. If you, you could have an mm. idea and you could yeah. be up and running literally within 24 hours, if not less. And I know there's been lots of fun tests done like that, but that, that's the reality. You could create an information product like we are now on the back of a very, very cost-effective you know, program. It might be Audacity, yeah. it might be Zencaster, and information products are the best way to get started in some respects because the, uh, the barriers to entry are zero. And you could take your niche of topic, your expertise, your special knowledge of anything that you have a deep passion for, turn that into a 10-step you know, guide or you know, the five questions most asked and all those sorts of headlines, and that can become a piece, a piece of content that you can sell. Or you can even just use it as a way to get people to sign up to your database. Yeah, barriers to entry, that, that really is the thing, isn't it? That's the thing that's changed online throughout this revolution that we've all been fortunate enough to live in. Like I, I count myself as very fortunate to be alive in these times and have watched firsthand the change that's gone on. I mean, I've, I've got three kids, Bernadette, the oldest of which is about to turn five, and he will never, let alone his brother and his sister, he will never have known a life pre-internet. I mean, obviously, to state the obvious, he, he will never, as much as I waffle on to him about it, he will never grasp the revolution that he just missed out on, that he was kind of born into the tail end of. I look, you can't say the Dewey Decimal System wasn't helpful, could you, David? <laughs> 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 Who oh. misses looking up library books in those little trays, you know, you pull yeah. out with the cards. And, and I, I'm a bit like you. I've got one leg in both those camps, analog and digital, because I was born at that particular time in history when it wasn't digital and the encyclopedia or your parents, this school, they were the authorities. You know, they were the people who held the mm. information. Yeah. And what we're yeah. seeing with our children now, and this is the open access and the democratization of content, is yeah. um, my son can look up, as he did just recently, how to delete a logo off an image. You know, so yeah. you think about Shutterstock yeah. or um, any one of those you know, photo libraries, kids can take the the watermark off these images and use them for free. Wow. I'm not saying my son did that because I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a reputable uh, and honest citizen. But I watched him look on YouTube for that instruction. And yeah, I think that's that what we've never seen. The education of our children is changing dramatically. And there's no reason why entrepreneurs can't start at 11. You know, like I was in my book, I've mentioned this young girl and she's um, she was nine and she developed an app for her sister. And Apple saw it liked it, gave her a scholarship to go to one of their coding conferences in, in America. Now, you know, what impact can that experience have on a young girl? And that wouldn't have happened without the internet and without all the tools I've just been mentioning. So it is, we do live in very interesting times. And I think we're in uncharted waters in that respect. And we've seen both sides. You give away your age in your book, actually. We're of a similar vintage. <laughs> and uh, we, we, as you say, we've, we've lived both sides of it. And it's a privileged position to be in. Hey, um, our listeners, some of our listeners are sitting there thinking, oh, I've got a crazy idea. I want to get started online. I know I, I have been meaning to. I want to. I just want to know how to go about it. We're going to get to that very quickly. But I, I do want to ask you about crazy ideas. What is the craziest idea that has, the most, has had the most success in what you've seen? Tell us about some of those niches that in the old world, pre-World Wide Web, would never have got off the ground. But because of the ability to reach across the globe and grab that tiny percentage of people who are interested in what you do, you can actually make a 
a business out of it. What's the craziest one you've seen? The one that comes to mind is Afterpay. And the beauty of this technology that we've been talking about is that things can be created from scratch and, you know, you can create something that is invisible, but yet has a function. So, for example, Afterpay is a reverse lay-by system. And you might have been reading about it. It's really knocking I have shit. no idea what it is. Okay. Well, it's an Australian organization. Nick Molnar runs it, and along with other few other people. And it's a reverse lay-by in the sense that if you want to buy something from Rebel Sports, for example, and you may not have the money at the time, you still buy the product. And then Afterpay will deduct the installments from your account after the purchase done through Rebel you know, the retailer. So it's the, hmm. the Rebel will have the Afterpay account and you also, you know, need to have it sort of thing. So you kind of, it's an interface whereby uh, Afterpay enable this product to be purchased before you have the money. And people say, it's well, isn't that like lay by? Yeah, well, well, there is that, but you don't pay the interest rate. You know, right, it, okay. it, there's no sort of impost on the uh, consumer. The uh, retailer will bear this, you know, small commission. So you get the product and you pay it off. You get the products and they deduct it from your account afterwards. Right. And so okay. this it's kind of a millennial product in the sense that, you know, young people want something, haven't got the money, that doesn't matter. Buy it anyway. Buy it on Afterpay. Yeah. Mm, you pay don't ever have to version. wait for anything. Exactly. And so mm. as a result, this company, they launched in 2014. They went public in 2016 and they raised $25 million in that process and they've just launched into America. And their recent transaction volumes was something like $2.2 billion. And that was just a few weeks ago, so I'm sure it's you know increased since oh then. So it's a real superstar, and the share price is going through the roof. And it's kind of interesting because it sort of sits outside the regulatory framework in terms of credit. Yes. So yeah. the government's quite interested. At, they're looking at that at the moment about how to monitor that. But the point I want to make is through the clever use of technology and identifying a need that people didn't even know they had, they now have created this incredible service all through digital technology, you know, zeros and ones. So the reason they've been able to scale so quickly is because there is no friction. You know, it scales instantly. Unlike yeah. a product, for example, you know, you've got to make the product, you've got to sell it, yeah. you've got to ship it. There's lots of barriers in there. But when you've got a digital product, like I was saying earlier about the information product, it's really an opportunity to scale and go global quite quickly. You're just getting people to log on and create a profile and away they go. Absolutely, yeah. That's, and your, that's your scaling. Yeah. And then there's other ones, people who are listening might be thinking, well, I've got a product, you know, how do I, you know, use this technology to do that? Well, I'll give you another example. It was a company called Hunting for George and they're a homewares company. And that's a really competitive sector and very mm. price-driven. But the um, these young women who who started this company had this great idea to do a YouTube series using the frequently asked questions that they get asked all the time. And so they picked one question that always rose to the top, which was how to fold a fitted sheet. And oh, yeah. really inane, <laughs> you know, but one of those things that. that you completely, you know, it bamboozles us all and I still don't yeah. know how to do it. I just stuff it in, you know, I think that'll, yes, that'll sort itself out in the cupboard. Roll it and, into a um, ball. Roll it into a ball and squeeze it down. And so these women created this you know, really cheap video. I think it was about $150 to make it. And it was basically the question, how to fold a fitted sheet. And yeah, they did these little brilliant. shots, you know, very, very basic video, put it on YouTube, and it went crazy. And they got all these subscriptions, they got all these sales, they built their database, and it went global because it went global. You know, it went, everybody was interested. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah. that just accelerated from there. So that's just another example of the clever use of, firstly, looking at your data, like looking at what are the customers actually asking? What are the mm. questions that they don't have answered? So that's a good starting point for anyone listening is, 
what's the unanswered questions or what's the unsolved problem that your audience already have? These women made a video out of it, really cheap, put it on YouTube, which is basically your free distribution. It got found and off it went. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. Hey, I've got to say, out of those two examples that you gave, I like the second so much more. I'm going to try and not sound like a cynical old man here, but the first one, I just don't like that kind of success because it simply preys on human vulnerabilities, on human weaknesses. Essentially, you know, they can dress it up all their life. They are putting people in debt. They are giving people the opportunity to get something before they've paid for it. And I know there are a whole bunch of other avenues to do that already, but that is the genius of their business model is that people want it because they're greedy and because we're impatient. Whereas the second is a lovely, we're giving information, it's quirky, We've done it on the cheap, but we're answering a question that everyone has and it has skyrocketed our profile. Do you share my my view with those two things? If you had to pick one of those and say, I like one better than the other, where do you land on that? <laughs> well, I think it, it calls into question the objective. You know, what is the objective of the business? And mm. I do talk about that a lot at the very beginning. And far be it from me to pass judgment on people's choices of business ideas, but I think I'm happy to do that. Yeah, you be the guy. You know, you be you own the podcast. You're going to track the flag. <laughs> but no, I think um, I just I'll give you another example, which is is very much along the lines of what you're saying. Is you know, what what about the companies that are doing almost a community service in some respects? You know, are they mm. able to utilize this technology? And there's a beautiful company called Wholesome Hub, and Sandy Abram runs that. And her website is it's an organic, vegan, sort of healthy website, sells food and all sorts of lovely um, treats and nibbles and what have you, and products, you know, sort of hair care and what have you. But the point of difference that Sandy cottoned onto, because there's a ton of those websites too. So the question is, how do you get the point of difference? She decided that finding these organic or vegan or nut-free or paraffin-free or GMO-free, you know, any product that sort of falls in that world of healthy or allergy-based were really difficult to find. And you had to search high and low through the Coles website or even on other sort of dedicated websites to find the exact value, you know, that represents your world. So it's not even just the types of food, but it might be fair trade. It might be Australian made. So she created a search functionality on the website so you could search by values. So if you do want Australian made, you click on Australian made and all the Australian made foods get popped up. If you've got nut-free, all the uh, the nut-free products pop up. So it's just a simple filtering process really from a tech point of view. But she was smart enough to cotton onto it quite early and to really leverage it, build a beautiful site. And she's very ethical. And so her whole world is how can I help people live more healthily? And I think that's a great example, too, of people using the technology to do something that's good for the community. She has a benevolent mission. I like it. Whereas those, those, that first group you talked about is how do we get people to get stuff <laughs> before they can afford it and put them into debt? And, and we're going to clip the ticket on the way through. We're going to make a bit of cash out of this human frailty. All right, I'll stop judging now, Bernadette. I don't actually, I don't often judge on, on this show, but I just decide I'm in a judgy mood perhaps. All right, now we've got people listening. They're saying, I want to do this. 
I have a great idea. I've got a niche I want to re- reach out to. I think I can sell stuff, whether it's services, ideas, or products online and turn my love, my hobby into a business, into a career. What is that five-step process that you encourage people to go through to do just that? Yes, well, um, I spent a lot of time with the research. You know, I, I was on—I was a judge for an awards process, and I saw all the applications, and I saw all the the information as to how people built businesses. And then one of my challenges for writing the book, David, was to structure it. You know, it's like, how do you build a business? Uh, where do you begin? It's all one of those Venn diagrams. It all interlocks. And it's very hard to pick out those individual components as to where do you begin. And I thought, go back to the beginning. And I think this probably resonate with you, but it's like, what do you want from the business? Yeah. Do you want to make that mm. billion that Afterpay could well become? And if so, you need to know that up front. You need to know exactly what your goals are because that will determine what product you sell, how you sell it, to who you sell it. And, you know, the Afterpay people, I think we're very focused on this is going to be a global business. If you have a very small goal in the sense of you just want to make a couple of grand a month or a couple of hundred a week and pay for that trip to Bali for the family or pay for the petrol in the car, you know, that's a different product, different type of audience that you might go for. So I think just first up, what do you want? Very important thing because it determines everything thereafter. But then the, um, so what I'm talking about sort of stage one is your mindset. What is it that you want? And then to trust that crazy idea that might be coming up. So let's say you do want a lifestyle business. You might have this passion for candles, a passion for art, a passion for horses. You know, within that passion, there's probably a business idea. And you start the business idea by asking, wouldn't it be great if? And I use that question as a leverage point because if you can if you can ask ask that question, whatever comes after it is an unsolved business opportunity. Because by definition, wouldn't it be great if dot 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 that has not been met or else you would be able to you wouldn't be asking it. So the point yeah, is okay. find a problem that hasn't been solved and you yeah. use that question to do that. And then you, so you trust yourself, then you take some action. Like you actually start thinking about, well, how can I get this out to the world? And that means just talking about it to people, sharing your idea, going to, you know, maybe a hackathon or going to a meetup or going to some kind of networking and just share your idea. And if you're met with blank looks every time you share your idea, maybe you need to refine your pitch or your idea is a bad one. Spot on. And people say, oh, I can't possibly share my idea because, you know, it might get stolen and I'm at pains to say, you know what? I don't think people are going to take an idea that they're not passionate about and dedicate three years to five years of their lives and maybe a hundred or five hundred thousand dollars on an idea that they don't care about. So I'd say to people, look, we've all got our own passions. Just share it. Because as you say, David, if people don't get it, it's your chance to say, Oh, let me rephrase that. Or mm. maybe I, I should say it this way. And the other people are saying, you know what, that's already being done. And you can say, yeah. Well, maybe this bit hasn't. So, you know, you're learning all the while. So point being get your mindset straight, get your questions right. And I've got five questions within that stage. Hey, before you get onto those, Bernadette, can I just ask you, because when, when you talked about that, that idea of wouldn't it be great if, I love that because that forces you to answer a question or ask a question about what is not being offered in the marketplace. Because if you approach this just from like, I like candles, which is the example that you gave, I want to make a lifestyle business out of candles. I'm imagining there's been a lot of wasted time and wasted money and wasted energy with people trying to create a business that has already been done a million times that has nothing special about it just because it's something that they like doing. 
Whereas if you force yourself to ask, wouldn't it be great if I can buy candles online? Well, I can already do that at a million different shops. So I need to think of something unique. Is this the beginning of finding a way to enter the market with an offering that that is a little different at least? That's exactly what it is, David. Well said. It is really a case of you cannot go to the market with an existing premise. You know, something's already been done. And let's face it, nearly everything's been done. But the point I make is the next step is you look at the trends, you look at where things are headed and you can get clues because when things are sort of in the faddish arena, they're still underground, they're a little like a lot niche or a fad, often they become mainstream, but they take a Mm -hmm. long time. You think about recycling, you think about organic, that was a fad 20 years ago. Yeah, And now, of course, it's mainstream. You think about veganism. I mean, that yeah. was unheard of yeah. 15 yeah. years ago. Now it's standard. So if you can look at the trends that are occurring, you can actually predict where certain things are going. And so it kind of goes hand in hand. You find the trends that are trending up and then you match that with the wouldn't it be great if, and then you match it with your passion. So it's almost like this Venn diagram I mentioned earlier, the sweet yeah. spot has to be in the middle. Yeah. That's your business idea. The Jim Collins beautiful hedgehog complex comes to mind. You know, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What pays the bills? Or what will people pay for? When you can Uh, answer those three questions and find the sweet spot, you've got yourself a business idea. So um, there's no point going going to market with a you know an existing candle business. I mean, unless you're doing it significantly different, don't bother. Because you'll just end up competing on price. If if you're entering a, a flooded market, you will compete on price yeah. and ratchet down your margin and, and you'll be having to work for nothing. And the only people that can do that are the big ones like Kogan, yeah. Catch of the Day, you know, the big department stores who are suffering anyway because they can't do that mm. now as they used yeah. to. So it becomes a price issue and nobody wants to do that, which is why, you know, service and differentiation and all that sort of stuff even language can be used quite powerfully, like Vinamofo is in the book. They're the online wine retailers, mm. and they're a wine, re- wine site. But what they do really well is tone, you know, in the sense of they know their market really well. They talk in that language that that market resonate with, and everything is kind of that mofo, you know, dude language, yeah. and it really resonates yeah, yeah. with their audience. And uh, that's their point of difference. Is there, and I, I don't know their demographic in particular, but I suspect it's mainly men aged probably between 29 and 50, you know, and they really resonate with that, uh, that sort of message. So I'm just using the point that you don't have to change your product in order to create a point of difference. You can even just communicate differently. Yeah, and people yeah. think that's my tribe, you know, they're the people I get, and the offers that they, you know, put through are all related to that particular demographic. All right. So are we still at step number one here in this mindset where we're creating the entrepreneurial mindset where we need that, that we need to turn whatever it is, whether it's a passion or a sobby, hobby or, a, or, a, or an interest that we have into an online business. And as we explore that, as we explore our mindset, we're searching for that point of difference that we're going to bring. Is, is that, have we got number one covered? Yeah, number one's done. And then you move on to number two. And let's say you've got a couple of those answers ready. Then you create the MVP, the minimum viable mm. product. There's a powerful concept, isn't it? The whole MVP concept. Oh, look, you know, people are probably doing it and they just don't know mm. it's an MVP. Yeah. But the yeah. minute you give it a title and you give it a bit of weight and gravitas, mm. it makes it easier to latch onto it. And, and instead yeah. of feeling like you're grasping or struggling or bumbling, you actually go, you know what? I'm actually in my MVP stage. 
So mm-hmm. it's okay to not have the answers. It's okay for it not to be perfect. And I think mentally it's a really powerful stage to be in or to acknowledge that you're in that experimental area or else yeah. you think, oh, if I can't do it perfectly, I'm just giving it up. You know, if I don't get a thousand customers on day one, I'm giving it up. And that's yeah. exactly what you don't want to do because it can't happen generally like that. Look, I, I really relate to this one, Bernadette. I started this podcast almost three years ago, I think, and uh, I had a completely different set of mics. And when I look, listen back, you know, the the guests I had were fantastic, but my my microphone, my sound quality, the way that it was edited, because I did I edited about ten or fifteen of the first episodes myself. That was very poor. Some of the the music choice was very poor. It was all very low grade. And it was important that I was willing to do that and actually publish those things because it was by having those out in the public sphere that made me want to get better, that made me want to invest in better microphones and a soundproof room and all of those other things that I have because I put the MVP out there and I built on it. If I had have waited back then to get everything together that I've got together now, I would never have started. And it's a, that's a really um, – it's a real – passion of mine now to understand what an MVP is for whatever it is I'm doing or whatever it is colleagues are doing. Because if you're waiting for perfection, if you're waiting for the all of Facebook, Zuckerberg would never have launched. Mm. And you're absolutely right. And the uh, the outsourcing bit that you just touched on, I think it's a really important point too, that we often get blocked at that MVP stage because we don't know how to do something. And mm. that's where the gig economy and all those sorts of other suppliers out there can just take up that little niche bit that you can't do. And so what in the past was unsolvable because no one could do it or nobody, you couldn't find anybody to do it cost effectively. Mm. Now you can. Mm. And actually, actually um, my kind of MVP, everyone's got an MVP story, which I think is a really interesting idea. But my copywriting school, I train people on how to become copywriters. And I was creating a home study version from the face-to-face version and it was a really mammoth endeavor. And when I do things, you know, I, I do, I try and do them to the best of my ability. But I knew that I would not finish it if I did not commit myself publicly. And yeah. so I sold it before I'd finished it. And wow. people bought it. And I remember that day I woke up and I saw the money in my account. I thought, oh, God, I've, I've got to do that finish now. It. <laughs> and it was kind of there because I'd already been running it for years, but I hadn't compiled it into this format. So, anyway, long story short, I worked really hard. My son had just been born and I just thought, you know, if I don't finish this, firstly, I have to give the money back. Secondly, my reputation, I just feel it's on the line. I can't do that. I would never do that. So I worked night and day to put that together and get it out there. And it was poor, you know, in the sense that there was mistakes in there. I mean, the quality generally was good, but there was mistakes. And I remember thinking, I can't afford to keep going through this material. I have to send it out or else I'm never going to move on. And anyway, people would come back and say, oh, Bernadette, on page 58, there's an instruction to your graphic designer saying, make this look good. (laughs) (laughs) So there's all these little bits throughout that were my, you know, like my communication with my my team. But I thought, you know what, that's the price. In order to keep moving, you've got to pay the price of just maybe not being perfect. It's so important because there are people who are listening right now who have had an idea for years and they just won't get started because they they imagine it's got to be perfect before it it starts, whether it's an online business or anything else they're imagining. And the simple fact is it won't be perfect. No matter how much you delay it, it won't be perfect anyway. So just do it. Put out that first episode, create that first online course, sell that first product, 
on the most basic, ugly website that you need to sell it and then build from there. And you'll look back one day, like I do, my first 10, 15 episodes, I'm embarrassed yeah, by the audio yeah, quality. Completely. And I'm actually, I'm actually considering, I might take them off SoundCloud so people can't ever listen to them again. But the fact is I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have developed if I didn't do that. I would still be be sitting around thinking, oh, I'd really like to start a podcast one day. Yeah. And I just worry that 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 is one of the things that holds people back, that thing where they think they've got to be perfect. It just doesn't have to be that way. And it's great to look back and feel uncomfortable about your early products because it means you got started. It's essential. It's essential. Mm, And all the big ones do it. I mean, Uber started with a a flyer uh, down at Sydney Airport. True story, David Rorschach, who started Uber, he put a flyer under people's windscreen wipers. Yeah, but the great. taxi driver's saying, uh, who wants to be uh, a taxi driver for us? Who wants to earn some money? Yeah. So, you know, big companies also start. But the third point is momentum. And that's kind of, it's a nice segue because mm, once you've got yes. your, you know, your short course up, you've got your podcast out or you've got your flyer written, people can see it and then it starts to gain traction. So therefore, you've got to start building your online presence. You know, And in fact, I say in the book, don't be hung up on the online thing to start with. Get out in the offline world and start, you know, connecting and building relationships offline. And then when you build your online presence, and this is where the awards that I mentioned earlier that I was the judge for really blew my mind because I'm reading these applications and these are the top online businesses in the country all submitting their award applications as to why they should win. And so I got access to this incredible information as, as to how they built their businesses from a technical point of view, very detailed. And I'm reading it and a lot of stuff, to be honest, didn't make sense because I'm not a techie person. But what happened after about 10 applications, I'm seeing the same software being mentioned. I'm seeing the same CRM program being mentioned. I'm seeing mm. the same recommendation engines being mentioned. I thought, oh, there's a club there's here. A here. Yeah. yeah, they belong to a club. They all know the answers that we don't know. And so for me, that was a bit of a trigger for the book because I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if pe- wouldn't it be great? There's my my question. Yeah, wouldn't you know, it be great, wouldn't it be great yeah. if I could share that with the uh, the world? Um, That's great. And so that was really part of my book was to share these very refined strategies that have been tried and tested by the best in the business and make them accessible to the public. And that's what I've done with the um, the third step, which is how to use the technology to build your idea up and out. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. You're absolutely right. You know, so that, there's, there's a lovely flow here. For We start with the mindset where we've got the idea and something we didn't say while we were talking about number one mindset was essentially your why. Why am I doing this? And you've got to get that clear and that was very much implied. And then we go to step number two, which is the MVP. All right, what's the minimum viable product here You know that will make me get started on this, whether it's selling something online or putting out a podcast or whatever. And then number three is momentum. Once I've done that, once I've actually started doing it, and I might even be doing it in a way that I look back and am embarrassed about it once I'm doing it in a really polished way. But once I'm doing it, momentum starts. And that happened for me with the podcast. And I started finding people who could edit my audio for me. So I didn't have to spend time doing it and they could do it better. And then I started finding people who could get me guests. And then people started sending me guests. And the momentum just builds and builds and builds until you've, you've got something that is polished and, and professional. I, I love the flow of it so far. Mindset, MVP, and momentum. Yes. And of course, we're in the M world here because the next oh, I one- I noticed that. Is marketing and 
And this is obviously a massive topic. And this is where a lot of people fall down because you can have all those three steps in train and it's all working really well. And then you build it, you're out there and maybe a year down the track, you get tired, you know, or a competitor pops up or you just haven't been sending out your email newsletters because you can't be bothered or you don't want to, you know, bother people. And suddenly, you know, the numbers go down and what's happening is your marketing has not been put in place. And the unfortunate reality, David, is that people have to be good at marketing, even if you're not. And I use in the book a couple of examples of um, people in my world that I've, you know, coached and mentored. And, and they'll say to me, oh, I built my website and I got my, you know, my headshots on there and I got my testimonials and I got my offer and all the basic things you need to do. And But they say, where's my customers? Yeah. And the fact is that line has been drawn because they think, well, that's up. I don't need to touch it anymore. It's like, oh, au contraire, you could not be more wrong. (laughs) You know, now the work begins. And this is why so many businesses fall by the wayside about a year or two after launch because it's enormous, the effort that is required. Now more than ever, and I've been in marketing for 30 years and I was in the old days of direct marketing and putting stuff in envelopes and sending them out. And we, we, we used databases and lists and that was kind of the beginning of the direct marketing or digital marketing movement. But now... It's a very sophisticated area. And Mm. if you aren't on top of your landing pages and your SEO, your content marketing, your social influencer marketing, if you don't even have a hint of some of that going on for your business, you are going to struggle. And so I really use the book as an opportunity to educate people just on the pillars, you know, of those major concepts they need to understand. And content marketing is a big one. And that's even a reasonably new concept, really. I mean, I'm a copywriter from way back. And I was just always the copywriter, but now you're content marketers. And what that means is it's a much broader palette that you've got to play with. You know, there's videos and there's webinars and there's podcasts and there's ebooks and there's surveys and there's quizzes and polls and a whole bunch of other content that you can use to educate your market with the view that if they like what you're saying and it resonates and it solves their problem, they'll get to know you a little better. They'll maybe dig a bit further into your website. Maybe they might buy a product. You know, so this content is sort of this thing that's been plopped in the middle of the purchase exchange between the buyer and the seller that didn't exist before. And it's, it's, a, it's kind of a benefit to retailers or, you know, businesses because they get the chance to communicate and people will absorb it. It's a negative though, because it's expensive to make and it's a long-term process. You can't just expect an ebook to, you know, derive sales instantly. That's right. And there's nothing worse than someone sending you an email saying or a newsletter saying, this is the first in a, in a monthly newsletter that I'm going to send you all the time and going to give you this great information. And then you get one or two and you never hear from them again because they've just fallen by the wayside. Look, this marketing thing and in particular content marketing is is really important. Just as an aside, I had a great conversation back in episode 27 with a guy called Jeff Herman. And that episode, I think we called The Age of Content Marketing. And he is all about that concept and just how important it is for every business to do some content marketing. He said even, you know, no, no matter what business you are, he can't think of a business where content marketing isn't appropriate. For example, a plumber. If you're a plumber and you know that you're competing with a whole bunch of other plumbers, 
why not send out videos? Why not do a whole bunch of YouTubes of, of how to change a, a leaky tap, how to change a, a washer, how to do these basic things? Sure, you might lose the odd small job, but probably not because people are, listen, are watching it all over the country. What you're doing is, is becoming an expert, creating a personality within that industry. And when people open up, when people Google local plumbers and they've got a whole bunch of black and white faces and then there's this shining face that stands out because they've got an online presence, they've got a YouTube channel with all of these great instructional videos, that's who they're going to go to, someone who does a little bit of content marketing. It's a, a really great topic and I know that's just a fraction of what you were talking about there in the the whole marketing suite. But again, you, you've hit something that I'm quite passionate about there, good content marketing it does make or break a business. Oh, completely. And Google are all over this as they are over everything, but they really rank quality content now. In fact, a lot of people don't know this, but they've got what's called quality raters out there. And they're basically, you know, people employed to read websites for Google and rank wow. them every page on a series of uh, of metrics. And this is done one by one, person by person. Wow. It's not really well known, but it's it's absolutely accurate. And that what's happening is, because I do SEO copywriting as well, is a lot of people are um, investing in content because if your website isn't well written, if it's grammatically incorrect, if it doesn't make sense, if it's just keyword stuffed, people, these quality raters will pick up on that and they'll mark you down. And so it is this kind of big classroom where you're going to get you know, negative points for not having quality content. Because in the past, we thought, oh, it won't matter as long as we've got the keywords in there and the, and the meta tags and the title tags. As long as they're all, they're okay, we should be okay and just have tons of pages. That's not the case anymore. There's other metrics being measured. So, they're little things that need to be observed, you know, if you want to rank highly on Google. And for someone who is starting an online business, not because they love the online world, but because they love whatever it is their niche or their topic is, this can be a bit daunting. The whole idea of SEO, search engine optimization, driving traffic to your site, using social media to begin the pipeline, all of those kind of things can be daunting. There's a lot of help out there. Um, there's a lot of help in inverted commas that's not so helpful, but it is a whole new world and, and it's appropriate that it comes in there at number four for you. Once you've built a bit of momentum, after you've built your MVP and you got started with your correct mindset, understanding marketing and getting that right, as you've said, is a real make or break for the success of an online business. Fantastic, Bernadette. I, I really like the way these flow together. Um, what's last? What is number five in your 5M process? <laughs> yeah, it's motivation. And when I say motivation, I mean motivating yourself as well as motivating others to do business with you. And within that within that chapter, I talk about how to pitch and present and persuade because uh, the ability to communicate and to persuade or cajole or inspire people to work with you, to buy from you is more important than ever. And that's obviously face-to-face -face communication, verbal. It's also the written communication as well. And so the examples I use, if you want to get a bit more sophisticated about it, is the use of public speaking as a sales tool. Like I'm a public speaker and I, I know from experience that when I stand on a stage and I talk about a topic, afterwards people come to me and they want to do business or they want to connect in some way. I could not have that impact, that efficiency, if I was just doing one-to-one -one meetings. You know, course, if, I, if yes. I was in the audience, I'd have to connect with 500 people in an hour 
to do what I do for one hour on the stage. Mm. And so what I've discovered over the years is that the public stage is a very powerful platform from which to promote. There's a lot of P's in there. But anyway, <laughs> to promote your, your product, uh, just one more P for, for good measure. So the point being, I talk a lot about how to present. You know, that's my topic. I present with influence. I teach public speaking and presentation skills. And I'm so passionate about it because I see the potential that people have, but simply because they don't have the opening statement right. They don't, there's some lots of formulas with presenting. You know, there's lots of little tricks that you can use to present really well off the cuff. You know, there's lots of things you can do, but because people don't take the time to learn it in even a half a day, they suffer. You know, even just nerves. I teach people how to, how to resolve nerves. You know, I teach meditation mm. to the Carlton Football Club. Do you? Yeah, yeah. So like a sideline for me, it's it's very relaxing and it's very enjoyable. But the the meditation aspect of bringing the nerves down is very powerful when you have to speak. Because if you think about if you're on stage and you're meant to be the expert on something and your nerves override your performance, what do people remember? They think that mm. guy was really a dud, you know, mm-hmm. or he didn't communicate. I wouldn't want to do business with him. He can't even communicate. So unfortunately, great Brains and great content people who are experts don't communicate very well on stage because of the nerves. So that's just a, that's a side sideline, mm. really. But I just wanted to throw that in that within a half a day, you could learn a couple of techniques and you're off. You never need to worry about that stuff again. But people don't take the time out. You know, like SEO copywriting, such an important thing. People don't take the time out to learn it and they stumble along, you know, and wonder why they're not getting ranked. And I guess, David, the point I want to make is self-education, you know, mm. it's all there. It's on YouTube. It's on. It's available. But we are so busy, and I absolutely get this too. You know, when do you do this? You know, well, you might have to give up the Game of Thrones one night. You know, you might have to give up, you know, MasterChef. You know, that's the reality, and that's what I can't judge where people spend their time. But I do know that if you, um, you don't take that time out to sharpen the source, so to speak, then – yes you know, it's going to come back and bite you. Look, I couldn't agree more. And the, and the power that you talk about standing on stage with an audience of 500 and being a really good public speaker is a powerful skill. And we know there, there are people who build businesses on the, the power of their ability to do that. But what about the people who are listening to this thinking, hey, I'm creating a fairly modest online store. My online store is never going to get me in standing in front of an, an audience of 500 what does this mean to me, the, the power of the pitch and persuasion? Bring it back to that level for us, Bernadette. How does that matter to those people? Yeah, sure. Let's take a company who would like to have someone come and work for them, like a really good web developer, a really mm, good sales okay. um, manager. If you can't communicate your value proposition to use some marketing speak, you know, if you can't communicate why this person should work with you, they're not going to join you, especially if they're in demand. So, even in one-to-one exchanges, you've got to be able to say what's in it for them to come over and work for you. Yeah, you know, What are the objections that they might have that you need to address before they've even asked them? You know, So identifying the objections, the barriers, the FAQs that people have, both your customers and your staff or your potential hires, identify these things. It's a little bit of research, takes 10 minutes, You know, get it sorted, and then you create your pitch or your spiel and you're able to convince people to do what you want them to do. And so I'm a copywriter, you know, that's my role is to write copy that convinces people to do what we want them to do. 
But even a phone call, I've got a, if I've got an important phone call with a client or someone I'm working with, I actually predict the questions they're going to ask. And I think, what's my intention for this call? What do I want to have happen? And even just those few moments of preparation can really set the tone and the, the format for how that phone call unfolds. So I'm a big believer in just a little bit of prep about thinking, what does that person need to hear from me? You know, why wouldn't they believe me? Why would they resist this idea? And also just the bigger picture, I think you'd probably be on, on par with this, David, just from talking to you tonight. How can I help them reach their goals? Yeah. You know, how can I pitch Everyone this in a, a way win-win that, in, in the company win-win, language? Win-win, you know, how, how do I make them think this is going to be great? So I've got to think about it from them, their point of view. Yeah. So that last one, that motivation is is how to pitch, how to be persuasive, how to engage with people and, and and stand with them. So you're standing on the same side of a problem. I like that. And and the number four and the five, the marketing and the motivation, they're essentially you, what you're telling people is once you get started, you need to ensure you are growing as a professional, as a person, you are adding to your skills. You need to understand marketing, even if that's not your thing. For your business to grow and survive even, you need to add to your skill set and marketing is one of those things. And number five, the, the motivation thing, how to pitch, how to communicate, you need to learn to communicate. You need to learn to engage with people positively and productively and articulately to get stuff done. And I, I like the way that those five are kind of broken into those two halves. That mindset, the MVP and the momentum is very much about getting started, thinking through things, getting clear about what you want to do and actually stepping forward, taking one step forward and starting to do something. And then once you feel that momentum start, that's when you sort of take this leap into the the next phase where you're adding to your toolkit. You're finding out what other things are out there that can make my business run smoothly? What other tech can I tap into? And then into the marketing and the motivation that I've just talked to. I really like the way that you've talked through these, Bernadette. There's there's a nice continuum. And, and as I say, that momentum's in the middle and it almost links the two halves that your five steps are in. Absolutely. And in the sense that the, re- you know, the education of our business owners, you know, it's about reinventing now, in the past, you know, you didn't have to do that because nothing changed that much. Mm. You know, I think about my dad, you know, from, I don't know, the 1950s to the 1990s, you know, work was work. You went to yeah. work, you came home. Now, within a, a month, you can have a competitor pop up and totally undermine your business. If you have that mindset, you will you will get gobbled up. Yeah. You've got to have this reinvention mindset. And I think mm. this concept of you can just set and forget you know, like I'm reinventing my website right now. And I, I don't mind saying it's a nightmare. It's not my strength. I can't bear it. It's very technical. You've really got to understand a lot of principles. And fortunately, I've got a really good, you know, web developer and other people around me that help me. But at the, at the end of the day, I have to make the decisions and I have to totally understand the strategy. And I don't mind saying, even though I've just written this book, I was bumbling. You know, I'm a big believer in bumbling. I did a TED talk on the power of bumbling and it's a bit like the MVP thing we talked about a moment ago, where you've got to just accept at this point in time, I don't know the answer. I don't know what happens next. And I just have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that enables me to get through this really awkward patch, not give up, not throw the towel in and just accept it. Because I know on the other side, there's light. I do know that. And I have to trust that. A lot of people give up in that middle bit where it just gets really hard. And I think that's what I'm trying to say in the book. 
do not let these barriers or these hiccups stop you. It's natural. We all bumble and we have to be okay with that and don't expect too much of ourselves. That's a really nice place to leave it. Bernadette Schwert, thank you so much for joining me on the Team Guru podcast. Thank you, David. Pleasure. And that was Bernadette Schwert. She's passionate about the online world and so articulate in the way she describes the things that you must get your head around to be successful. Her five-step process for online success makes a lot of sense. Mindset, MVP, momentum, marketing, and motivation. And there's a lot of depth to each of those. Building a successful online business is not for the faint-hearted or the dull of mind. It's a jungle out there. Low barriers to entry mean that competition can pop up at any time. But there's also some serious rewards to be found. When you're online, the world is your marketplace. There's no limit to the possibilities. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Bernadette on the Lessons Learned page from this podcast. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Bernadette on the Lessons Learned page from this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website, that's teamswithans.com slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Bye.